Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And this is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Brad. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. It's an honor of all honors to open God's word every time I get a chance to do this. I don't take it lightly. Now, before we get into this, I want to, as all of you already know, we're just going to address this. It's hot in here. We have an air conditioner that's out. We're working on it. And I love you. And I don't want to insult you. And I don't want to talk to you like you are my kids. But just give me a minute. I'm going to talk to you like you are my kids. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear complaining. Listen. Are we blessed to be in this building? Okay, Christians all over the world might get get their heads cut off today. We're we're a little warm. Okay, are we all right? I think we're all right. Let's go. (laughs) I love you guys. The following scenario is based upon a real life event. If you would imagine with me and go with me to a locker room, maybe at the end of a season, the season just ended and the team is in there and, 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 and this is a high school locker room and the coach has had all the seniors leave and, and he looks at this basketball team and he, and, he, and he talks about how good next year can be and he says, we've got to figure out what we're going to do with the point guard for next year. Which is not at all an alarming statement, unless you're the point guard sitting in the locker room who intends to come back next year. That would, you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, point guard next year. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Are you with me? Seems to be a subtle sentence. Oh, but it carried some weight for somebody in the room. 
It's not apples to apples, but there is a sentence in this passage. And I, I do indeed believe that, the, that it's what Mark wanted for his original readers. I believe as God breathed this out into Mark's pen, that I believe that it is something that God would want us to pay attention to today. It should, it should, it should catch us. Oh, wait a minute, okay. should alarm us. Oh, I should pay attention. By way of review, we are in the last week of Jesus' life. We've been in Mark all of this year. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we have talked about this. He has been challenged by the Pharisees and the scribes. And what they would do is they would seek to publicly humiliate Jesus. They would want to undermine his ministry. He was a threat to them. But Jesus would always demonstrate superior, almost like a godlike wisdom in all scenarios. And he would actually then humiliate or infuriate the scribes and the Pharisees. So, for the longest time, what this group has been doing is they have been trying to figure out a way to kill him. If you remember, all the way back in chapter 3 of Mark, these, this group, they plotted with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, this passage that we're in today, it actually comes off of the tail end of a discussion between Jesus and the Sadducees. Well, there's a group. See, now we need to know this. The Sadducees did not play well with the Pharisees. If you remember last week, we talked about the Pharisees and the Herodians. They didn't get along. Pharisees and Herodians, they clashed, but they were, they were political enemies. When you talk about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, we would say they, they would be like theological, they would, they would have theological clashes. Theological enemies, maybe. So it's not the Herodians, but it is similar. Jesus just has a discussion with this group of Sadducees in verses 18 through 27 of Mark chapter 12. You, you can go read it. And he just gets done telling the Sadducees how wrong they are. Quite literally. He says, you, he tells the Sadducees, you are quite wrong. <laughs> not, not too subtle. Oh, the Pharisees love that. They've been telling them that for years. The scribes loved that, and that's where we pick up this passage. And one of the scribes came up, and he heard them disputing with one another, Jesus and the Sadducees. And seeing that he answered them well, he's like, I like that. Jesus just told the Sadducees they were wrong. I, I like that. And the scribe comes up, and he says, Okay, here we go, Jesus. Which commandment is the most important of all? Now we see that. And don't, don't let that just don't, don't just blow over that. This actually would have been, been commonly asked among rabbis and, and students and scribes and Pharisees would have been asking this question a lot in this day. Because, and we've talked about this before, but just by way of review, there were 613 commandments in the law. The, the commentaries say that 248 of those were positive commandments, 365 
were negative. Now, if you guys remember, I brought the commentaries up that I'm using uh, straight from one of those, which was the one that Stein wrote. He said, it was natural to discuss if some of the commandments were heavier than others that would have been called lighter. So it was common. Some commandments were heavier, some commandments were lighter. So this question wasn't about, are, are, are some of these 300, or 613 commandments unimportant? No, they're all important. But it's about what was the most fundamental of the commandments from which all of the other commandments then arise. This is how, how Stein explains uh, the context around this question. Which one is the weightier Jesus, which one, which one is it? And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Let me say that another way. Jesus quotes the Old Testament. Why did Jesus quote the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. So I'm going to say this again because I can't state it too much. We love the Old Testament here, Hill City. It is not a part of the Bible in which we should unhook our wagons, as some church leaders are now saying. Never. It was Jesus' Bible. It's part of our Bible. We love the Old Testament. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. And what does he say? Jesus answered, The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Let me, let me stop there. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Because that's Deuteronomy chapter 6. The second one actually comes from another part of the Old Testament. We'll get to that in a minute. Now Jesus comes, and, and listen, he, 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 reiter, he reiterates this because it needed to be said. Mark's original audience, as they were reading this, they would have been what we call, what we call uh, polytheistic. It's still common in our day, meaning like many gods. Great. Yahweh, let's lump him in and just put him in our big uh, pool of all the gods, and he's just another god with all the other gods. And here comes uh, Judaism, here comes Jesus that's affirming what uh, the Jewish uh, Bible said or what the Old Testament said, and he's like, no, 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 there is one God. There is not many gods. There was one God. He is superior. It was a unique belief of the day. That belief of monotheism. And the truth is just baked into this statement that it's not just, hey, there's one God, but there's not even any other gods that compare to our God. And Jesus repeats this and he quotes the Old Testament. He affirms what the Old Testament says that yes, there is only one true God. Before we move on, I just want to say I hope and pray that you all believe that in your heart. That there are, there are not many. He says, love the Lord your God. There is one true God. Now, love the Lord your God. This particular passage uh, is the, the Shema prayer. It is recited uh, twice a day uh, by practicing uh, Jews in Judaism. But it says, love the Lord your God. It's not just that there's one God, but that we are then to love that God. That, that word love that's used there, it, it speaks to loyal, affection, and devotion. 
Okay, so just briefly, let me do this. Let me do this because many of you know, like, I love, I love the Cardinals. Not a great year, but I love the Cardinals. But it's like, wait a minute, and, and, and I'll always be a Cardinal fan, but, like, if I'm going comp- to compare that to, to Jenny, like, there's no comparison. Like, I, I, love, I love Jenny a way different Okay, listen, I love to hunt. I love to be outdoors. I like, I like, to, I like to hunt. I like to, uh, mostly deer. And, and I, I like when it's cold. I like to be up in a tree. I love it. It does something to Like, I love it. But compared to Jenny, like, if you're like, hey, it's, I mean, it's not even a discussion what I'm going to pick. There's just the devotion there. There's just a, a loyalty there that, it's, you can't compare it to, to anything else that I say that I love. And, and we're told, no, 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 there's one God, and we should love him that way. Like, like we love in a marriage. second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these so before we do that because I know what some of you are expecting you've been in church like you've done the church thing you've heard this passage and like listen on the wall like what we are about here at Hill City Church right together we love God we love others yep Got to. Like, that, like, like that, that, that's a call of God on our life. But what you're expecting is like, yeah, but what's, what's all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your soul and all of your strength? And listen, that isn't unimportant. I think, I think it's worth looking at, but I don't think like that's where we should just land and camp and be like, this is what Mark would want you to know. Like he would want you to look at heart, soul, mind, and strength like I don't think that's it, but, so, so, but let me hit it briefly but before we move on, okay? So, so it's, it is important. So just oversimplify here. Love the Lord God with all of your heart. That's the core of your being, your innermost self. Like love God with that part of you, all of your soul. Soul being like this intangible you, like this is the spiritual part of you. This is the part of you that's going to live forever. You need to love the Lord your God with that. And then mind, mind, okay, here we are. Like we, are, we, we don't just follow Jesus and love God out of stupidity, right? We're, we're, it, there's like an anti-intellectual uh, sort of movement within the church. I don't think it's good. But like loving Jesus, following God, loving God, and, and having faith, biblical faith is a thinking faith. We should want to grow in our theology. We should always want to learn more about the God that we are supposed to love. The more we learn about that God, actually the more we will love him. So we should, we should seek to do that. Another reason, we should, we should love the Lord God with all of our mind. Satan in the garden says, did God say? See, if you're not thinking and if you're not learning, that question will crush you. (laughs) Did God say? And if you're thinking, if you're learning, 
when that comes and that attack comes, which it still does, it just doesn't come in the form of a serpent. See, that attack comes in the form of podcast now. That attack comes in the form of maybe some books that we read. We have college students at our church. That sort of attack actually comes in the classrooms that you sit in sometimes. Did God say? God didn't say. But if you love the Lord God with all of your mind, you will know what he said. And you'll be like, no, that's actually not what he said. This is what he said. He loves me. I love him. Full devotion. It's over. That's loving the Lord your God with all of your mind. Then we go strength and might. Quite literally, this, this word would, would translate more like abundance or over, overflow. Like love the Lord God with all of your abundance and overflow. But, but, but specifically, even your physical body. Our physical bodies matter. They matter to God. They should matter to us. Right? The, the, this, uh, the teaching of dualism uh, out there where it's like, like, like body and physical bad. Spirit, metaphysical I don't even know if that's the right word there. Good. Okay, well, no, no, no. That's, that's not loving the Lord God with all your mind. Like we, Dualism doesn't work. That, that's just not the way it works. Listen, we don't want to idolize our bodies. We don't want to be obsessed with appearance, but we should steward the gift of our body. That's the way we love God with our body. Okay, so we, we love the Lord God with our heart, soul, mind, our strength, and our might. But listen, if you just look at those words, heart, soul, mind, strength, you miss a more important word. It's just a basic principle of Bible study. When God repeats something, we must pay attention to that something. Every word of God is pure. So when you read this passage, love the Lord your God with, what's the next word? Love the Lord your God with all love the lord your god with all love the lord your god with all he goes a fourth time love the lord your god with all that's the more important word here in this passage so last week we talked about uh, the coin right and jesus going render to god the things that are gods and the question we asked well what is god's and last week we we we, we, we talked about this all of it is god's this is in the same lane. We're running in the same lane here this week. What is God's? All of it. And God is to be loved completely and totally. Why? Because he alone is God. One God. So we love him with everything. Because he first loved us. We'll get to that. Then the second part, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There was another commandment greater than these. Now here Jesus goes to Leviticus, all of our favorite book. He's in Leviticus. And he quotes this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. This is, if you want to read this later, it's chapter 19. Uh, you can read verses 9 through 18. He, he, man, he is, he is about, like, the, these are your neighbors. This is the context in which how you should love your neighbors. And, like, these are who your neighbor. And, and if you remember, we were here praying, right, uh, at our prayer night. We're just going to have more of those. If you missed it, you missed it. You need to come to our next prayer night. But Royce was talking about God's grace and God's love is like this fountain. 
It never stops. Can you imagine? Like it's just overflowing. It's not like a little fountain. It's just like gushing fountain that never, ever stops. That is God's love. And it comes to us. And what we should be as God's kids is we we are like channels of that love. And the fear, especially in, in, in maybe Midwest, maybe, maybe, Midwest, American Christianity, is that we become reservoirs and not channels. See, see, God loves us so much and it never stops. And then out of that love, we, we, we love others. And we won't have time to get into it, but Jesus let us know who, who, who others were, like who, is our, who our neighbor was. And, and, and with the story of the Good Samaritan, okay, people, we love people. What people? Those people. Who are those people? Those people. Where? Those people in your life are, are those people. Those people in my life, those are those people. That's who we're supposed to love. People. So, so just let's pause. How have you been doing at loving your neighbor? It's good. We've stopped. Let's evaluate. Okay, how Now, before you answer it, because it could be like crushing it. I read Art of Neighboring, dude. Knocking it out of the park. Listen. Now, let me ask it this way. How are you doing at loving your neighbor as yourself? Jesus is not quoting the Old Testament and saying that the Old Testament is teaching this scribe or you and me, some of you are going to be so mad at this, to love ourselves more. We cannot interpret this scripture and be like, we should love ourselves more. He's talking to a scribe. If there's anything we know about scribes and Pharisees, it's this. They loved them, some scribes and Pharisees. So so cultural moment. And I want to say this out of love. I want to say this with kindness. I want to say this with gentleness. Self-love is a fad of our day. And just in case that you bought into this, because I don't want you to, I don't want to shame anybody. Like maybe you made some posts or something. I don't want to shame you. Um, just give me a minute because I, I want to read uh, a passage for you out of First Timothy, if I could. So um, Paul's addressing Timothy. And th- this, this seems pretty clear. So it's actually Second Timothy. And Second Timothy, take note, I don't have this as a slide. Second Timothy chapter 3. I just want to read this. So he's telling telling Timothy, hey, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, why will there there come times of difficulty in the church for pastors shepherding people? Verse 2, this is the first sentence of verse 2, right after this. 
for people will become lovers of self. That doesn't make things less difficult. Loving yourself doesn't make things less difficult. And he lumps it in with some other things that are pretty disturbing. Listen, it's going to get hard because people will be lovers of themselves. They will love money. They will be proud. They will be arrogant. They will be abusive. Kids are going to be disobedient to parents. They're going to be ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see how serious that is? You see how serious this fad of self-love is? It sounds so good. And TED Talks can get you thinking, this is the way. This is the way we should go. And the Bible, listen, the Bible doesn't teach that. God's way for God's kids, written in God's word, is that they deny themselves. So when we read this, here's love my neighbor as myself. Like the response should be that much? Wait, I. I'm supposed to love them that much? Because listen, can I, I'll confess to you. Listen, I, I do this. Like, I want to be transparent. I love me with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all my strength. I do. And so do you. You love yourself. Because after this is over, like you're so hot, you're going to go straight to your car and you're going to flip your air conditioner on as high as you can flip it on. And you're going to go straight somewhere to eat something really good. Right? Why? Because you love yourself. So now let's ask again, how am I doing with loving others that way. I'm asking this in front of you to myself, and I want to tell you this, not awesome. I'm not doing awesome at loving others like I love myself. And maybe that's you too, maybe it's just me, but if it's you, I want you to know I have some really good news coming, okay? Some really good news. Maybe the best news you've ever heard in your life. So let's go to verse 32, we can wrap this up. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is the one, there is no other besides him, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors, oneself, it's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the scribe's like, that's good, Jesus, that is good. You, yes, amen, Jesus, love it. Here's the problem. The thing that the scribe agreed with wasn't even being practiced in the very place where this discussion was happening. This discussion was happening right there in the temple. And all around, this commandment wasn't being followed. The commandment that had been written thousands of years before, it was not being obeyed. 
the temple. Jesus had just got done saying, this place has become a den of thieves. The religious leaders who were in charge of that place, they were not wholeheartedly loving God or loving others. And what does our king do? The thing that he always does. And listen, right here in verse 34, like this is, this is incredible because this is Mark. This is Mark like showing us his markness in this verse 34. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus kind of like, indirectly commends the scribe, right? Here's, here's what he says. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, good, the scribe's like, Jesus, yes, amen. That is true. And it's better than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus, Jesus is indirectly like, yes, that's a wise answer, which is very different if you go back to chapter or verse 15 like we did last week. Jesus wasn't looking at the Pharisees with the coin and all that going. No, he's like, why are you testing me? Man, your hearts are jacked up. That's not what he does here. Why? I think he does it because I think, I think the scribe here does say some things with some sincerity. I think this scribe is in a different place than what those Pharisees were uh, in the last discussion. But we need to see this, Hill City. Let's just apply this. We can sincerely exhibit external wisdom, but we can still be missing it internally. So let me say it, let me say it another way. Let's, let us not let knowing the right answer be the litmus test for righteousness. I mean, come on, we're Midwest church people. We, listen, a lot of right answers in this room. Amen? Like, we've been doing this for a while. See, Jesus goes right after the heart. This comment, this, this is that sentence. This is the one. Jesus looks at a scribe. He saw that he answered wisely. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So, so I'm just imagining the posture, and I don't want to read this in the scripture. It's not there, but just imagine the posture of the scribe, right? He, he, he has a good answer. Amen, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And the scribe's like, wait, what? What did you just say? Like, this is a scribe. He knew his Bible inside and out. He had written his Bible. Like, can, so, so Dr. Majors, he's a dentist here at our church, and, and, and I go to him, my kids go to him. He's arguably looked in thousands of mouths. He's been a dentist for over 10 years. He went to school for almost that many years before he, was a, before he could become a dentist. So he's close to 20 years uh, of practice. Can you imagine as I'm walking out of his office and I'm like, hey, you are close to being a dentist. You're about there, dude. Like Now, now, now he would laugh, but think about like, and then I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like, imagine if I got really serious with him. Like, he would, like, don't insult me. Go find another dentist. That's probably what he'd say. Like, here we, Jesus tells a scribe. Like, these are people, like, they, they're in the center of the kingdom. And you're telling this guy he's not far? 
And Mark doesn't want us to miss this. I don't think God wants us to miss it. Listen, the crosshairs, once again, now shift and go right to the forehead of our king. How could he say such a thing? Jesus, in his last week, is very intentional to get people's attention off of the temple. Why? Because it's going to be irrelevant in a matter of days. Jesus, in his last week, is very intentional about getting people's attention off of the, the law. Why? Because the law does not have the power to save. Jesus, in his last week, is very intentional about getting people's attention off of the religious leaders because these guys were wicked. They were corrupt. They were confused. Jesus, in his last week, he wants people to turn their eyes upon him and look full in his wonderful face. And he wants that for us, Hill City. These steps of intentionality that I just mentioned, they are in the direction that Jesus has been heading all along. He's going somewhere all through Mark. And where is he, where is he going? He's going to the cross. So it was actually an improper response. Maybe it was wise, but it's an improper response of the scribe to be like, oh, that's good, that's, that's good, amen, Jesus. What would have been a proper response? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes Leviticus 19, and, and he's like, do these things. And the proper response of the scribe would have been like, yeah, you know, about those passages, I've read those in Deuteronomy. Hey, teacher, I've read that in Leviticus and about those passages. I've, I've actually studied those. I've memorized those. Um, that's impossible. That's the proper response. You're telling me to love the Lord my God with all of, all of me? You're telling me to love my neighbor as myself? That can't be done. But the problem with the scribe is that in his mind, he thought he was doing it. The problem with the scribe is that he thought he was good enough to do it. And that is why he wasn't in the kingdom. That's why Jesus looked at him and said, you're not far. Don't miss this. The scribe did not realize that apart from the one that was sitting right in front of him, he was powerless to love the Lord his God with all of him. Apart from the one sitting in front of him, he was powerless to love his neighbor the same way that he loves himself. So let's get really practical. I want you to get this. We have it on our wall. The great commandment. The great commandment is not a human achievement. Oh, that's really, really good news. Parents in the room, we have to teach what I just told you. You have to teach that to your kids.
Your kids can't obey you without Jesus helping them. We can't, listen, I think what happens in the church is, is that we forget how powerless we are apart from Christ, so we start shifting our focus on how awesome we are, right? We come in, we read this on the wall, and it's just like, listen, and, and I'm not, I don't want to be accused of it, it's like, well, I'm crushing this, like, I'm good at this, I can actually tell people how to do this, and then you start hanging out with people that are like, yep, I'm crushing it too, and you got a bunch of people that just talk about how they're crushing this, and how awesome they are, and their eyes shift to how awesome they are, and it's like, man, no, no, the only way that that is possible is, is by the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you, allowing you to do that. Brecken asked me this week, my son asked me, he's like, Dad, what's your favorite Bible verse? I'm like, dude, I can't, like, I can't answer that. But he was sincerely asking it, and for whatever reason, the Lord's had this on, on my heart lately, and he has his highlighter out, he wanted to highlight some Bible verses. So I was like, dude, I, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and verse 21, I want you to highlight it, I want you to just make it bright. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, that's really good news. And I want to tell some of you in this room right now, it could be that you're not far. You're not far. But the reality is, is deep down that you think you're pretty, you're good enough. Apart. From the righteousness of Christ. The scribe was only near. He saw Jesus as a teacher. He addressed him, teacher. And he even said amen to the teacher. But sitting in front of him was way more than a teacher. Sitting in front of him was the savior of the world. Sitting in front of him was our only hope. And he didn't realize it. If you're serving communion, I want you to head back. Get everything set up. There's one more sentence. Every word of God is pure. Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And here's the last sentence of verse 34. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. And you might think, oh, that controversy end, it's over. No, 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 listen, this is speaking to like after this, this controversy, like this is the conclusion of all the controversies with this group of people that have happened from the beginning of Mark to now. This is important. Mark wants you, to, wants you and I to see this. And like in every time they came to Jesus, he exhibited his unrivaled, his unmatched wisdom. Every time he stopped them in their tracks, every time they tried to publicly humiliate him, listen, it backfired and his enemies were the one who were publicly humiliated. And this speaks to the authority of our king. His authority is unrivaled. So what is it that this group now has to do? Rethink the plan. We've tried everything. We're going to have to get him from the inside. Let's go find the guy that takes care of the money. And God, even in that planning, 
you were sovereign over all of it. You saw to it that no one would get in the way of your pathway to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you for your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with me?